0: All right, well, as I said earlier, happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are here, whether you are really a father now or going to be a father one day. I'm telling you, I know it sounds like I'm just saying this, I know it sounds like I'm just saying this, but I really, 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 with all my heart believe that God has chosen every topic that we have chosen about here on Sundays, and He has totally made it fit to whatever the spirit is that's going on like around us. Today is Father's Day, and as you guys know, what we're doing is we're going through our core values as a church. And we're going through what is, the, what is it that we believe that we are. Is this microphone really loud, or is it just me? Is it okay? It's fine? Okay. <clears throat> we're going through our core values and what we believe that we are called to be, because as I said before, and I'll say again, we believe that God wants us to do extraordinary things, So in order to do extraordinary things, we have to be extraordinary people. And I'm telling you, every week, like the first week we did it was Mother's Day. And Mother's Day was our first core value, which tied in so much to Mother's, which was like limitless acceptance. So I just feel like God has chosen every single week. And today's core value, we're going to talk about faith-filled vision. And I'm going to tell you why it is perfect. It is perfect for Father's Day. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But first... Let us review our core values as a church. We're going to review it every week. And for those who were here last week, you saw that I came up with this little analogy, which I was really, really proud of and no one else seemed to care about, but that doesn't really matter because I'm entertaining myself as much as I'm entertaining you guys, all right? And basically what I saw is these 10 core values, which were just kind of put together. I don't want to say randomly, but they weren't put together in a sequence. They were just kind of thrown together. When I looked at them sequentially, I noticed that what God was doing was taking them from here and building and building and building and building and building and taking us step by step up until we reached a pinnacle and then taking us back down the mountain. All right? Let me explain. Our first core value here at St. Timothy's is what? Limitless acceptance. I just started you off with that one. All right? And this is basically... All right, well, let's go through them and I'll show you how they build up. Our second core value at St. Timothy's and St. Athanasius Church is... Authentic community. So not only we have limitless acceptance, we accept everyone as coming from God, and we love everyone because they're God's child, but then we want to build a community, a genuine community, not a superficial one. Now, our genuine, authentic community is not built around just having fun with each other, knowing each other, but our third core value is? Transformational communal worship. It is transformational communal worship that we gather around the real presence of God every time we meet, and we gather around His presence to be transformed by God. Not just, like I said, we're not a social club. We're not a country club. We're not just a group of people who like to hang out and drink free coffee. We're people who gather on the presence of God every time we meet. Our fourth core value is... Passionate pursuit of God. And we don't just meet to worship God when we meet together. But after we leave the church, then the church keeps on living because we continue to seek lives and passionately pursue God in those lives through our Bible reading, through our giving, through um, the way where we go on Friday nights and Saturday nights. Everything we do, we passionately pursue God in everything we do. And then our hope after, as we're doing all these, that we can reach the pinnacle of what God wants for us here on this earth, which is? Christ-like integrity. We can live a life where our actions match our words. We can live the same way Christ lived. That's not easy and that's a really high and I'm not saying we're going to get that by next Sunday. But What I'm saying is that's what we're always going to be striving for. To be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. To live that life of perfection. Once we reach the top, today's core value, we're going to talk about faith-filled vision. I'm going to talk about what that is in a minute. But what I want you to see is is the progression that God is doing right here. If I pick someone off the street today who knows nothing about nothing, and I pick them up off the street, what am I going to do with that person? I'm going to limitlessly accept them. I'm going to accept them as they are, with whatever it is they come with, I'm going to accept them. And then as I accept them, I'm going to build them into the community and try to establish them as a member of the family. But I don't want just them to be relating with each other. I want them to be centered around worship of God. And then I want them, after they learn how to worship God as a community, to go home and worship God in their rooms. And then eventually I want the worship of God to spill over into every aspect of their life where they would live with that Christ-like integrity when no one is watching. And then once they hit that, then we start to hit the downside. And that's going to be faith-filled vision, which we're talking about now, a life of faith, where we believe in a big God to do big miracles. Then we're going to see all the rest of it that comes with it, which I didn't put up there. The generosity. The giving of our time and our gifts. The evangelism. And then the last one, which I didn't put all the rest of them, is genuine love for the community. So what we're trying to do here is take someone off the street who knows nothing about nothing. Accept them. Build them into the community. Have their lives be transformed by the presence of God. Let them pursue God at all times. Live with a Christ-like integrity. And then once that happens, all the rest will spill over and then they will go back into the community from which they came and they will love that community, but they won't be the same. See how that works? See how God did it? God put this church here with a door on this side to bring people in to build them up to send them back down from where they came but not the way they came. Alright? Is that a little bit better of explaining my excitement? Alright? Be excited about it because it's really, really, really cool. It took me a long time to find that mountain on Google Images. (laughs) Alright? Anyway, now we're on the downside of the mountain. Faith-filled vision is our core value for today and it's one that I am excited about. I am excited about today. I'm telling you I'm excited about today because this is one of my favorites. We believe in a big God and we rely on Him to do extraordinary things in our lives. We are not surprised when God does a miracle. We are more surprised when God doesn't do a miracle. Today is the perfect topic for Father's Day. Why? Because on Father's Day, someone was just asking me up here. They're saying, you dads, y'all really don't care about getting gifts, do you? And I said, no. We don't really want gifts. We don't really, because, at least the way it is in my household, if I wanted something, I would just go out and buy it. Okay, You know what I mean? Like, I don't need permission or anything like that to buy. Maybe some of you dads are in a different situation, Okay, but the way we run our household. Okay? <laughs> so I'm not waiting for a gift. And I don't think God is waiting for a gift either. But what do I want as a father? I want to be honored. And I want someone to say, You're my dad, okay, the little guys. You're my dad, I appreciate what you do, I know what you do, I appreciate what you do, and I honor you. I think God is the same way. I think today we need to honor our father. And I have discovered that nothing honors God more than faith-filled vision. Than someone who looks up at their father in heaven and says, You are a big God, and I will trust you and rely on you to do big things in my life. That honors God. When my kids come to me and something is broken in the house and they say, Daddy can fix it. I know Daddy can fix it. Even if I can't fix it, I'm going to find out how to fix it. Because that to me, that honors me and I like that. I like my kids being like, my daddy can beat up your daddy. I like my kids thinking that. And anytime I tell my kids, you know, I played basketball. And Marianne will always say, who won? She hadn't learned her lesson over all these years. Who won? And my kids will always say, well of course Daddy won. Just leave them thinking that daddy always wins. Okay? It's not that far from the truth, is it, guys? Okay? <laughs> Nothing honors a father more than when his child looks at him in awe and says, You're the best. I think God is the same way. We got two parts to this that we're going to talk about today in that first sentence. We believe in a big God and we rely on that big God. I'm going to split them up into two things. We believe in a big God... I'm talking about the bigness of God. And there's a term that I put in your handout God's bigness. Okay? And I like the term bigness because it's the best word. Because God is a big God and He has bigness. I'm talking about God's bigness. Then I'm going to talk about how we rely on God's bigness and how we honor Him for His bigness. Let's start with who He is and then we'll get to our response. Who God is and God's bigness. Anyone know who this is? UVA knows who that is. That's Thomas Jefferson. Alright. As a student at UVA, Grace knows, and I went to UVA too, so I learned this firsthand. At University of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson's the founder, okay? And he's also the third president of the United States of America, Declaration of Independence, did that kind of stuff. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson is like God at UVA. Right? Like you know how we quote the Bible and say Jesus said? They say Jefferson said for everything. Now I'm not joking. People say, well, you know, Jefferson once said, you know, sometimes they say stupid things like, Jefferson once said that we should be kind to our enemies. I'm like, he ripped that off. okay? But that's the way they are. They worship Thomas Jefferson. Everything is Jefferson, 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 Jefferson. I never had any beef with Jefferson. Okay, like, never had a problem with him. I didn't worship him like the rest. Never had a problem with him. And then I learned something about him. Y'all know what the Jefferson Bible is? Y'all ever heard of that? Okay, so let me, let me explain this to you about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was a good guy. He wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't like doing all the bad stuff like a lot of other people. I'm sure he had his mistakes, but he was a good guy. But he was someone who was a son of what was called the Enlightenment. Okay, that phase or that era. You know what Enlightenment means? Enlightenment means stupid people thinking they're smart. That's what it means. It means people thinking that they're the smartest people in the whole wide world, and that they can explain everything and they got it all figured out. So anything that they can't explain, therefore, must be Not true. So what Thomas Jefferson did is Thomas Jefferson didn't understand some of the miracles of the Bible. He worshipped God, he believed in God, but he didn't get some of the miracles. So Thomas Jefferson cut some of the miracles out. Literally. Out of his Bible with scissors. He cut out the virgin birth. That didn't make sense to him. Cut out the resurrection. How could someone who's dead be raised from the dead? Cut out all the miracles. Water and wine, walk on water, feed 5,000. He didn't like any of that stuff. He literally cut them out. And what he was left with was a man who had very nice teachings. Love your enemies, be kind, turn the other cheek. He had very, very nice teachings in there, but he didn't take the miracles of Christ. He cut those out. And that became known as, what's known as today as, the Jefferson Bible. Maybe you've heard of that. The Jefferson Bible, or what is more officially known as, the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. You, of course, would never, ever, ever, take scissors to a Bible and cut it out. You would never, God forbid, never! But maybe we do it in other ways. Maybe we take the miracles and the promises and we write them off as a thing of the past. So you may not literally be cutting them out, but you may be cutting them out. You may take the promises of God, the promises of God, and you may water them down to such a level where they barely even resemble what God promised. You may take God. God. And because you can't get your, wrap your mind around him, what you do is you shave pieces off. Oh, this, I don't really know what that means. Get rid of that. This, I don't understand how that applies in 21st century. Get rid of that. This, probably uh, 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 like an exaggeration. Water it down. And what you end up with is this cute little picture of God, okay, wallet-sized, okay, you fit right in your pocket. Look, here's my God. Look, here He is. And say, no, God. And they say, well, I don't really get that stuff. So we have our own little picture, and we operate our lives with our own theology. Someone once said, then in the beginning God made man in His image. And ever since then, man has been making God in His image. In the beginning, God made man in his image. And ever since then, man has been trying to make God in his image. I believe that most of our spiritual shortcomings in life come from this one flaw. Thinking about God in human terms and with human limits. That is the biggest mistake you will ever make in your spiritual life. And it's natural for us to do. I'm not saying that it's a switch that you can flip. It is natural that if I am rude to this person, that he will be rude back. So then all of a sudden I'm rude to this person, and my natural assumption is at some point in time, okay, maybe he won't be rude because he's God, but at some point in time he's going to get fed up. What am I doing? I'm taking this characteristic and applying it here. Don't think of God in human terms. I think, okay, this is how I deal with my father, so this is how I'm going to deal with my father. Don't take this and apply it to this do not put God in a box there was a book that I saw one time I never read it but the the title intrigued me it said is your God too nice that was the title of it is your God too nice and it said something about how like if he is he's not the God of the Bible I don't know what the book was about I've never read it but the concept the title kind of it made me think and it made me think that sometimes we have a picture of who we think God is and whether or not that's accurate or not it's just who we think God is And we think that God is this, and we think that God is this, and we want God to just be sitting on his little statue and just kind of like, we just have this little picture of who God is. But maybe your God isn't the same God as the God of the Bible. Look at these verses from Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created all these things. Don't compare me to no one. Don't compare me love. Don't compare me to the most loving person in the whole wide world. There's nothing compared to me being love. Don't compare me to nothing. Isaiah 55 verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. When we limit God to our logic, we end up with a picture of God that is not accurate. And there is nothing more dishonoring to God than to limit him and put him inside a box. We're going to the story of one of my favorites in the Bible, which is Abraham. Abraham is a great example of somebody who teaches us the bigness of God and how God taught him his own bigness. Let's get the context of the story. The story of Abraham begins in Genesis chapter 12. When God tells Abraham, Hey, Abraham, I need you to leave your land, and I will do what for you? I will make you a great nation, alright? So Abraham says, hey, this is great, okay? I got no kids right now, I want to have kids, love to have many kids, great nation named after me, that's not bad either, okay God, I'm in. Abraham leaves his country, no kids. He does everything God asked him to do, no kids. He's obeying God, he's serving God, he's worshiping God, and the result of doing that for many years is, no kids, exactly like when he left. Finally, around Genesis 15, Abraham, we don't know how many years it's been, say somewhere between 10-20 years since the promise. And we say 10-20 years if it's nothing, okay, but 20 years is a long time to be waiting for a promise. Right? We can't even barely wait 20 minutes, all right, when when things when we want something. Abraham we're waiting twenty years. So finally, Abraham says, in his own human logic, he says the following to God: Genesis 15, verse 2 to 3. Abram said, Lord God, look at the logic, the human logic, the limiting God. He says, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, look, you have given, then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring, indeed, no, indeed one born in my house is my heir. You all understand what Abraham's saying? Abraham's saying, look God, I trust that you are going to make a nation, give me descendants, because you promised it. But it's been all these years, and the only one I got, like the way it works is, if I got no children, then one of the servant's kids, OK, like Eleazar of Damascus, he would end up being like my inheritor. So he's like, OK, God, like, is this really your promise? I didn't want to think this is your promise. I didn't believe it. But like, let's, let's be logical right now. Like, let, let's be practical. I'm old. OK, like I was old 20 years ago. Like 20 years ago, I was too old to have a baby. And now I'm like really old. I thought maybe if I started when I was 75, when you made the promise, okay, like, you know, like we could work overtime, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe Sarah, get a couple of them out at a time, maybe twins, triplets, something like that. And maybe, you know, if she can be producing until 80, 83, 84, something like that, then maybe we have like five, six kids, something like that. Like that's like a dream. But God, she's like 90 now. Like, and you're supposed to make a nation? Like, even if we worked overtime right now, like there's not that many, not that much time left. Abraham is saying it doesn't make any sense. Like, God, there's only at, at seventy five there was these options, but now God, like, there's no more options. Uh, so God, in typical God fashion, teaches Abraham a lesson he'll never forget. God sends Abraham on a little field trip. Those are my favorite stories in the Bible. One of my favorite verses. One of my favorite, 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 favorite things. What God does with Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 5. Then he, being God, brought Abraham outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. Stop right there. I don't think that when God says this, like, he says it, and then he says something else. But I think a lot of time elapsed in there. Because Abraham obeyed God, like, instantly. Like, in the story when he, when he offered up Isaac, God said, offer your son. And before God had finished, Abraham had a son, uh, he was halfway up the mountain. That's the way Abraham was. So God said, go outside and count the number of stars. And before God could say the next sentence, Abraham was outside, and he was counting. And God watched him count. One, two, three... Wait, did I count? That? One, two, and Abraham was going, and he's using his fingers and using his toes and using his wife's fingers and his wife's toes. I wonder how long this project took. How long you think it took? How do you think Abraham was out there counting? We'll never know. Fifteen minutes, half hour. I bet you God left Abraham out there for a while. Abraham was a patient man and if Abraham can wait 20 years between the promises God's going to leave him out there for a few minutes you know what He'll leave him out there a couple hours you know what let him stand out there all night see if he can do it and by the end Abraham came to God and was like God I can't count it like I, I, I can't it's impossible and then God said to him so shall your descendants be boom lesson learned Abraham, after this moment in time, even though he made mistakes later on, never questioned again. At this moment in time, God taught Abraham an object lesson. Not even a lesson like this, an object lesson that Abraham would never, ever, ever forget. Look at all those stars. Oh, you can't count them? Well, let me tell you something, Abraham. I can count them. And I can tell you each and every single one of them. I got a cool email. I got a cool email. Maybe y'all have seen this. This It's one of these forwards that went around like six months ago, something like that, and I saved it because I love it. This stuff, I love this stuff. All right. Y'all seen this one? Maybe you've seen this. All right. So this, okay, is Earth. All right. And here is Earth. Okay. And here's some other planets. So you see how big Earth is compared to Venus, Mars, Mercury, Pluto. Now in this one, Earth is down here. So you see the size of Earth. All right. Like, if I go back to this, how big are you on this? How big are you on this? How big are you? How big are we right now? Here we are. Look, we're a big, look, big big group in a big hotel in a big city. How big is Washington D.C. in this? Very, very, very small. Just a hair on this. And what that is compared to Jupiter, Saturn, and of course everyone's favorite planet, which is Uranus, (laughs) Neptune. And Pluto, you see where Earth is right now, so now you see how you shrunk in comparison to all the other planets. All right, you see how big Jupiter is compared to Earth. Now let's go to the Sun. How big is the Sun compared to Jupiter? See how Jupiter became just a little itty bitsy little dot, and this dot, this thing, little small thing, was ginormous compared to Earth. Okay, and now Jupiter's that small, and look at the big Sun. But that ain't nothing. That's just a Sun. That ain't all the Suns in the sky. Look at this. Our sun, when you compare it to other suns, is just a, a, a speck. Here you got some other ones: Sirius, Pollux, Arcturus. Okay, whatever it is, it's called. And then that Arcturus guy over there, you see how big he is compared to our sun? Look at that little Arcturus guy down here now. Okay, he ain't nothing compared to Riggle and Aldebaran and Portuguese and Mr. Antares. <laughs> And Antares, the thing goes on and on, but I, I stop it right here. Antares, Antares, which is a sun, which dwarfs Arcturus, which dwarfs the sun, which dwarfs which dwarf sun, which dwarf Jupiter, which dwarfs Earth, which dwarfs you. This Antares is the 14th brightest sun in known in that's been discovered. So there's 13 other guys even bigger than this bad boy right here. Y'all know what this is? This is the Hubble telescope from 1999 taking a picture. Y'all know what each of these little balls of light is? A galaxy. That's right. Not a planet. Not a planet. Not a sun. A galaxy. Each of these little bad boys, y'all know how many galaxies have been discovered? Have been discovered. How many? Anyone guess? From Hubble. 1999. Say 125 billion galaxies. Okay, watch this next shot. This is actually the most amazing one. This next shot is a blow up of the darkest spot in this picture. The darkest spot. See how there's light spots and dark spots. The darkest spot in this picture, this is a blow-up. And in this one little blow-up of this tiny little thing, you see like 70 little galaxies right there. Watch this verse. You saw that? Watch this verse. He, being God, no exaggeration. No exaggeration. It's the Bible. This is not me. He counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. He counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. You know the most amazing part of that verse? Not that the God can count them all. Not that he has a number so high that he can count them all. But he has that many names. That to me is the incredible part. How do you come up with that many names? That's incredible. But that's our God. And God took Abraham. He said, Abraham, you don't get how this works. Come count. One, two, three. Keep on counting. See all you see. And Abraham, you see nothing. Because when you get to the year 1999, it's then this Hubble thing, you discover a lot more stuff. And then today is 2012, and I don't follow the NASA stuff, Okay, but I'm sure there's even more that's out there that's been discovered. And I'm sure there's even more that's out there that hasn't been discovered yet. I call each one of them by name. There is, you know, Joe, the star. There's Edwin, you know, the other star. I always remember this. One of my favorite things to do, I like to go outside, early in the morning, or late at night. Alright, usually more in the morning. But if I am up late at night, I like to look outside, because when you see the stars, I remember this story, and I say, you know what? Look, look at all those stars, and God's got them all inside the palm of his hand, he calls them all by name. Our God is a big God, like the galaxies, the galaxies, hundreds of billions of galaxies, in front of God, each one of them. Like our galaxy that we live in is a grain of sand, a very small little thing. In front of God. But you never know that unless you get outside and unless you stare up. And that's why what we need to do, we are going to honor God today on Father's Day, is every now and then we need to look up. And we need to see how big our God is. And we need to, like, stop looking at walls and at little ceilings, and little rooms, and we need to see how big and magnificent our God is. And then when we do that, then we will learn how to honor God properly. Three practical things, two really, like I'm going to lump two together, ways that we will practically honor God for his bigness, and how we will rely. I said we believe in a big God, and we will rely on him. So how we will tap into God's bigness and rely on God's bigness. The first thing that we will do is we will challenge assumptions. We will be people who do not rely on assumptions and limitations. We will challenge the things even that we think to be true, even that we know to be true. Because I have discovered that the people who God works the most mighty in their lives are the people who assume the least. David didn't assume that giants always beat little guys. God worked in his life. Moses didn't assume that seas don't split in half. God worked in Moses' life. Peter didn't assume that you can't walk on water. Even though everything around him told him you can't walk on water, Peter didn't limit himself to that assumption. And we will not limit ourselves to those assumptions either. We will not limit ourselves to the assumptions that bread doesn't fall from heaven, because sometimes it does. We won't limit ourselves to the assumption that water can't turn to wine, because sometimes it does we we'll not limit ourselves to the assumption that dead people don't rise and virgins don't have babies because that stuff happens as well the people who God works the most mightily in their lives are the people who challenge the assumptions of life and say you know what just because it's always been this way and because everyone says it this way doesn't mean it has to be this way as long as I got a big God in the picture here with me 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 2 and if anyone thinks that he knows anything he knows nothing yet as he ought to know Great verse. This is the nicest way you can insult someone biblically. Alright? This is how you do it. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Basically saying, you think you know it all? I mean, you know nothing. The smartest people in life are not those who know the most. But it's those who know that they know the least. The smartest people in life are not those who know the most, but those who know that they know the least. There's a word for this in science. Y'all ever heard of the word critical realism? Y'all ever heard that word? Science people? Anybody? Critical realism is an expression which apparently means in science anyone who's a true scientist never ever ever speaks definitively when it comes to discoveries, and thinks that we've discovered everything now. That's why scientists will always say, like, to this point we've discovered this. And they'll say, to this point, this is what we know, and research has told us. But they'll never think, because there's so many examples. We are sure of this, and we learn dis- other discovery, not that contradicts this, but completes this. Okay? And then we learn this, and then we learn this, and then we learn this. Because stuff is still being revealed, so critical realism means that we realize that we don't know everything. Not everything has been discovered. And there's stuff like all these galaxies. We realize that there's some stuff maybe the picture hasn't seen yet. We need to have this critical realism in our lives. And we say, you know what, to this point, God has never done a miracle in my life. But that doesn't mean I've discovered all there is to know about God. To this point, God hasn't solved that problem. God hasn't given me healing for that. God hasn't answered that prayer. But you know what? There's nothing that says that I discovered everything there is to know about God. And if God promises that there's some... You know what? I'm going to keep on discovering. I'm going to keep on exploring. And see if maybe there's a piece of God and a piece of God's promises that I haven't yet discovered. Don't assume that you know it all. Who is the best persons or group of peoples that know that they don't know it all? Kids. Kids. You want to know what's great about kids? Kids are humble enough where they know that they don't know it all and they like to ask questions. Studies say that kids ask an average of 125 questions per day. 125. Adults? 6. Like probing questions, like discovery questions. Questions like, like, why do planes go over cars? Good question. (laughs) Where does the sun go at night? No idea. Why do fish sleep in water? Fantastic question. Kids ask questions like that. We started this thing at the school, like we do these morning announcements. Okay, The the kids do like a morning announcement thing, like a little video thing, and they play it to all the thing. And there's a segment that the kids came up with called Ask Abuna. So they submit questions, and then I answer the questions. True questions. True questions. Were you born with a beard? Great question. Great question. Another one. True one. Were you there when Jesus was crucified? Okay? I don't know why someone. I don't know why they think I was there, but they think I was. Great question. These are the things. Like kids ask questions. Kids realize there's stuff I don't know. We as adults, we've lost 119 questions a day. Because we think we got it figured out. There was once a uh, four year old child who was in a uh, doctor's office in the waiting room. And, she, and the child saw a pregnant lady. Okay, So the child didn't know what pregnant was. The child said, Why is your stomach so big? And the lady said, Oh, because, you know, I have a baby inside. So The kid said, Is he a good baby? <laughs> and the mother said, Oh, you know, that's kind of cute. You know, like, Yeah, he's a, I'm sure he's a very, very good baby. So the kid goes, So why did you eat him then? <laughs> That's cool, okay? (laughs) Kids have a holy curiosity. I think that sometimes, in addition to teaching children, we should learn from children. I was actually just talking with someone the other day about this. We were talking about how we should teach our children, like me and another parent. We were saying how we need to teach our children. More importantly, we need to learn from our children, because they can teach us a lot. It's not my words, Is what Jesus said. Matthew 18.3 Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because I want you to have this, like, I don't understand everything, and I don't know it all, and I think this, but how come, God? How come planes go over cars? How come my prayer doesn't get answered and everyone else's gets answered? How come you haven't solved this problem yet? What's it to say that if I fast and if I pray, that you can't do this great miracle? Why? We need to ask questions like that. We don't ask questions like that. We... No, 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 no. Just be happy with what you got and don't challenge. Why? I think God likes the challenge. And I think, is one of the reasons why I'm saying it's good for Father's Day, that sometimes, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but sometimes, I think we bore God. I think God gets bored of us, because if my greatest prayer is, God give me a good day, (laughs) and God please don't let my kid get hit by a bus today, okay, no bus hits your kid today, but really, is that all you want me to do, because I got stuff up my sleeve. Right, and I got miracles, and I got power, and I want to shine it down on you, and I want to part seas, and I want to knock down walls, and I want to open the eyes of the blind, and I want to do stuff. And you're stuck with, please, let my kid get a good grade on his SATs. The beauty of childhood is no assumptions, no limitations. We need to learn how to become like children. And that will get us to step two and three which are connected after we challenge assumptions we dream big we pray bold dream big pray bold there's a book i'm reading or i'm listening to i should say it's an audio book that i'm listening to these days and a lot of people here have read circle maker y'all ever heard of the book circle maker great book alright i encourage everybody to read this book This book is changing the way I view prayer. It's a fantastic book about how prayer is supposed to look like. And I don't want to give it away because I can't do justice to it, but I want to encourage everyone, get it on your Kindle, get it on audio, get it on the old school paperback, get this book, Circle Prayer. It'll change the way you pray. One of the things it says in it, it says, God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. I love that. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. Don't think that God is offended when you ask Him for big stuff. In fact, what the book says, it's the opposite. God is actually offended when you ask for little stuff. And God is insulted by your little prayers. God is honored when you say, God, I need a miracle and I know you can do it. God says, yeah, you, that, yeah, that's my boy. As I can say, it's my kid coming saying, Daddy, I can't fix this. Can you fix it? Yes. For you, yes. God is honored when we come to Him with bold prayers, specific prayers, big prayers, asking for big stuff because we believe that He's a big God. When we come to God and say, like I said, God, just do these little small little things, then what we're saying is, God, you're a small little God. And that is insulting to God and it is offensive to God. Look, if your prayers are not bigger than you are, and if you're not asking God to do something that you can't do, you are insulting God by your prayers. You are insulting God by your prayers. God loves it. When there's a sea, and Moses says, God help, boom, park. When there's a mountain, say, God, we're thirsty. Boom, water from it. Say, God, we're hungry. Cloud, manna, boom. God loves it. Some of us, our struggle when it comes to praying big, and I'm not, like, forgive me, I'm not trying to be offensive or anything like that. I'm not trying to be stereotypical. But I'm saying from my experience, there's one species that tends to struggle with this more than the other. All right? Sometimes, ladies, okay. one of the ways the devil messes with your head is he gets you to not realize what I'm about to say next. And it's a simple sentence that I want you to really internalize and I want you to really understand that every word of it is true. That God is for us. God is on our side. And God wants to give us stuff. Sometimes the devil messes with us. And we have this idea that if I want it, God must not want it. That anything that I want must be bad. Anything I want must be bad. I want this. Okay, God must be against it. God wants me to do this. Get rid of that. God is for us. Again, father with child. That as a father... What makes me happier than when my son says my biggest dream in life is this and if I can fulfill that, what makes me happier? Nothing makes me happier than when my son says I don't want anything in the world except this one thing and it's huge and it'll make me so happy for the rest of my life. And I have the means to provide it, I'm going to jump at that opportunity. God jumps at the opportunity to answer our prayers, to fulfill our dreams to do big, bold, like, fantastic things in our lives that will just give us satisfaction. Like, God loves that stuff. Get rid of the idea that God is against you and God is against your prayers. If you don't internalize that God is for us and God wants to answer our prayers, you know how you're going to pray? Small. You'll pray small prayers. Like, please God, if it's okay, You know, just let me get by today. Just because you're scared. You pray timid. You feel like God doesn't want to give me anything and then be like, oh, okay, here, take it. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's some of us, our mentality, and it's wrong. Because there ain't no father who loves his child who's that way. And why would we think that our God is any different? I'm not saying God always gives us what we want. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is God loves to put a smile on our face. He loves it. And He loves to see our hearts fulfilled. learn to pray prayers trusting that God is for us and God is not against your dreams and if you can like really get that concept and start dreaming big and praying bold you know what? the trajectory of your life might be forever changed one bold prayer is all it takes for the trajectory, I will struggle with that word, trajectory of your life to never be the same again. It doesn't take a lot of prayers. It just takes one. One big one though. But you never know. You know why this topic is perfect for Father's Day? Because we as fathers and God as a father, we get bored easily. We like adventure. We don't like, like, for example, come to church every week, okay. Pray, okay. Fast, eh. Read my Bible, okay. Like, we get bored of that stuff. What we like is adventure, mission. Come to church, and then afterward, let's do something, yeah. You know what I mean? Let's go out there and and, and conquer a land. Yeah, let's go. Let's. Pray because we're going to slaughter something. Yeah! You know what I mean? We like adventure. We like mission. We like to do stuff. And what I'm saying is God is with you. God doesn't want you to just pray and read the Bible and fast. That's not what God wants. God didn't create us to live boring kind of lives. God created us to do stuff. And the reason why we pray is that we can do stuff. The reason why we fast is that we can do stuff. And the reason why we read our Bible is so we have the information that God and the mind of God so we can go out there and accomplish stuff. the greatest moments in life are when you have a need or you see a need or God puts a need on your heart you challenge the assumptions of life you dream big you pray bold and in those moments again a quote from the book from the Circle Maker the greatest moments in life are when human impotence and divine omnipotence intersect Human impetus, a need, a something. Remove the assumptions, the limitations. Open it up. Stand in front of the stars. Dream big. Pray bold. And what you will find is when human impotence and divine omnipotence intersect, those are the moments where the sun stands still. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. In my life and in your life, the bottleneck on God's miracles are not on God's end. The bottleneck is on your end. The bottleneck is on the assumptions, the dreams, and the prayers. It's not on God's reserves. Like, God has. The reason that you're not experiencing is not because God doesn't have, but because your pipe between you and God, okay, that's where the bottleneck is taking place. God is more eager to answer than we are to pray bold prayers. <clears throat> Y'all remember the story of the walls of Jericho, right? Great example of how this bold prayer and dream big thing is supposed to happen. In the story, you got the Israelites. God said, "Israel, you're going to go take that land of Jericho." Israel said, "Fantastic." This is the best news ever. This is what we wanted. But there's a problem. They're big, we're little. They're many, we're few. They have big walls around their city. We have nothing. God says, don't worry. I'm God. You trust me? Trust you. I got a military strategy for you. Here's what you're going to do. Here's the greatest military strategy in the history of all mankind. You're going to march around the walls. Okay? What do we do after that? Do it again. Gotcha. Right after that. One more time. Go six days in a row, march around the walls. Okay, this is perfect. We are lulling them to sleep by marching for six days. And then the seventh day is going to be some kind of nuclear something or a battering ram. There's got to be something on that seventh day. God says the seventh day, that's the most important day. Because here's what you're going to do on the seventh day. You're going to do what? You're going to march around, not once, not twice, not thrice. You're going to march around seven times. Let's pick up the story there. Joshua 6.15. And it came to pass, on the seventh day, they rose early. They marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And the seventh time, it happened. And the seventh time, it happened. When the priest blew the trumpets, the Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction and to all who are in it. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets, and it happened. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. And the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. That's a pretty cool miracle. Because in that miracle, you have a bunch of people marching around the city like idiots, Okay, With no weapons, with no strategy, with no nothing. And they march, seven days in, or six days in a row. And on the seventh day, they march seven times. And as soon as they finish the seventh time, on as soon as it happened the seventh time, it says, and the seventh time, it happened. Pause the story right there. What happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. They finished the seventh lap, and they said, sweet, the city is ours. Nothing had happened. Nothing had happened. They said it happened. Nothing had happened. But what had happened? They challenged the assumption. They dreamed big. They prayed bold. They marched around those cities. And the Bible doesn't tell us that they were praying. And the Bible doesn't speak about their faith. But come on, man. They had to be full of faith. Because if it was me, I'd had no faith, I'd have taken off out of there. I'm not a dumb person who's going to march around so I can be a, a sitting duck. I'd have taken off out of there and said, you people march around like idiots if you want, I'm out of here. But they marched, and they marched, and they marched, and they marched. And what happened when it says it happened? What happened? The miracle happened. Even though the miracle didn't happen, the miracle happened. Even though the miracle didn't happen, the miracle happened. They challenged the assumptions. They dreamed big. They prayed bold. And God said, boom, miracle. Even though they hadn't seen anything yet. Then they shouted. They blew the trumpets. And Joshua, the walls are still up. Joshua said, look, the city is ours. Why? Like what? Nothing. The walls are still there. The city is ours. And then, not until you get to the end of it, that people heard the sound, people shouted, and then the wall fell flat. Look, that is a perfect microcosm of how our life with our big God should look like. Big challenges. And we're not going to sit on the sideline and do nothing. We have big challenges, and we're going to say, you know what? Even though I don't know how we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And we're going to challenge ourselves to do this. We're going to dream big and we're going to say, You know what, God? You're a big God. You're not a little God. And I believe that you can. we're going to pray boldly. And we're going to say, God, I don't know how and I don't know when and I don't know what, but I believe and I trust in you. And when that happens, God will be honored. And God will be glorified. And that will be the best Father's Day gift that you can ever give to God. Say, God, I believe in you and I trust in you. You're not a little God. You're a big God. Now, with that said, I want to talk specifically about how this core value fits into us here at St. Timothy's and St. Athanasius Church. We have a dream. We have a dream. We, as I said time and time again, we do not want to be an ordinary church. We're not an ordinary church. We are an extraordinary church because God has called us to do extraordinary things. Not saying we're extraordinary in and of ourselves, but God has called us to not just exist for ourselves, But God has given us, with this church, a vision, a dream, that is totally impossible to accomplish. The dream, don't laugh, okay, don't laugh. The dream is that there will be a spiritual revival in this country of ours. A spiritual revival in this country. And people, ordinary people, who don't think they need God, who don't see how God fits into their lives, will realize they cannot live one second without God. And those people, all over this country, there'll be a spiritual revival, where people are going to have a deep relationship with God, who never had it before. Deep relationship, and not uh, a superficial relationship, but a deep relationship with God based on the life and teachings of the Orthodox Church which is what God has given to us. We're talking about not a bunch of people going to church. I don't care if people go to church or don't go to church. That doesn't matter. The goal isn't to get everyone to come into this church. That's not the goal. And in fact, if that's what happens, that's actually, I would consider that a failure. The goal is not that everyone comes into this church but this church goes everywhere. That's what I consider a success. Is that God has given us a mission that what we are going to do. And I'm not saying we're going to do this tomorrow. What we are going to do is we are going to take what God has given us and we're going to reach everyone with it. How am I saying it's going to reach the whole country when we've said specifically that we're Arlington and we talk about Arlington? Because I don't believe that anybody who's sitting here today is going to spend the rest of their lives here. I don't believe that. All right? Especially in this specific area, I'd be lucky if half of us are still here 5 years from now. People come, people go. But when it's here, and then you go, our mission at St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church. We exist to transform lives in the D.C. metro area through an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ founded upon the life and teachings of the Orthodox Church. We're in new revival. And it says D.C. area because that's where, the, the, as I said many times, the tidal wave, the root, is here in Arlington. But make no mistake about it the tidal wave that's gonna begin right here in this little Hilton hotel and on this little street, whatever it is that we are, street. Alright, this tidal wave that's gonna begin here, I believe that God is calling us to really change this country and to show this, this country what true depth in Christianity is all about. And open eyes of blind people and maybe shake some concept and some, some ideas that people have in their mind about what real depth in their relationship with God is. I don't know what it's gonna look like, But I don't believe that we're here just to pray, read the Bible fast, and go home the same way that we came. Okay, now you can laugh. That's a big dream, isn't it? That's a crazy dream, right? The little, tiny little church, funny little room that we're in, you're going to change the country? It's a big dream, right? It's Father's Day. It's Father's Day, right? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 it says, Now to him, our Father, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You all know the adage of we will work as if it depends on us, we will pray as if it depends on God. That's what we're going to do here at this church and that's what you are invited to be part of. Not a church that just wants to be a church. You want to be part of this church? You realize you're part of this mission. We will work as if it depends on us. We will work, we will work, we will work. But we will pray as if it all depends on God. And we will pray challenging the assumptions that a small church can't affect the whole wide world. Not world. I don't want to be crazy in my dream. I'm not saying world. I'm just saying country. Okay? I don't want to be international. We just want to be okay, just across the country. That this church can't affect the country. We'll challenge those assumptions. We'll challenge the assumptions that most people don't want to talk about God or to have a relationship with God and people want to just do their own thing. We're going to challenge those assumptions. We're going to dream big. We're going to dream that your coworkers and our neighbors up and down these streets. And every time I drive by I'm just looking. And I was reading in Joshua. And in it where it talks about how Joshua walks in the land and every place that his feet walk, God has given him that land. And as I'm driving by, I'm like, God, you're going to this place of Arlington, you're going to take it one day. And God is going to take it one day. I don't know when that day's going to be. Maybe after I die, maybe after you die, but He's going to take it. And he's going to take that piece of Boston, that piece of Clarendon, that piece of uh, whatever. We're going to dream big. But challenging the assumptions and dreaming big without getting on our hands and knees and praying bold is going to be useless. <clears throat> in the book, it says the following quote. I'll finish you off with this. I don't want to live a life in such a way that the best I can do is the best I can do. Say that again. I don't want to live life in such a way that the best I can do is the best I can do. And basically what he's saying is is that without bold prayer, the best you can do in life is the best you can do in life. But with prayer, the possibilities are infinite. With that said, let us stand for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for this day that you have given us and for this message that you have given us to remind you, to remind us, Lord, of how big you are and how limitless you are, Lord. And all of us are praying that you would forgive us for the times that we limit you and, and we think that you can't. And we think that is too hard for you or too big for you. Forgive us, Lord, for praying small prayers and dreaming small dreams and in the process limiting you and limiting your omnipotence. Lord, forgive us for not seeing you as you really are. I pray, Lord, like you did with Abraham, that you'd open our eyes to see your bigness and to see how magnificent you are and to see you in all your glory, and all your power, and all your might, Lord. We don't want to live like ordinary lives we don't want to be an ordinary church you called us to be something special and each and every single one of us you've called to be here to be part of something special so lord give us eyes to see your big vision for our lives give us eyes to see your big vision for our marriages that are here our families that are here the single people that are here see the big vision that you have for them in their lives i know lord when they see when everyone sees that it all connects together in a perfect way that fits like your perfect vision for all of us and for your church thank you lord for giving us this message today lord and really pray that you'd help us to not limit you in any way lord accept our prayers this day in the name of your only begotten son our lord god and savior jesus christ and with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints hear us lord as we pray thankfully our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done